American carnage stops right here and stops right now. Right now. Welcome in today. We got an awesome show for you. We got one of the hottest young country singers out today. He's got two albums out in 2012. It was Crash Course and his new album, Nothing But Time, just came out in 2020. And it is taken the country music scene by storm. It's uh, hit the Texas country music charts. It started out at about 193 and it is now 67 and climbing. And you can check him out everywhere you stream music, but Spotify. Go follow him on Spotify. His name's Nate Burnham. So go check him out and let's welcome him here today. Hey, Nate, how are you, man? Hey, what's going on, man? That intro of the that Last of the Mohicans thing on the guitar. Was that dope? I was listening to that the other day when I was, yeah, it's so good. And I, I want to learn that. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was listening to the truck the other day when I, to another podcast, one of your one of your episodes. And I was like, that is so smooth. That sounds so good. Oh my god, I have to learn that. Yeah, it's unbelievable. The the only problem, and nice job spotting that, by the way. You're you're like this. I think you're the second person that's that's caught that. So nice job. By oh the yeah. Way. And then that's a great movie. Oh my gosh, the best. HBO is making um new Last of the Mohican series. Have you heard about that? Ooh, I did not. I did not know that. Yeah. So that'll be good. Uh, but anyway, um, the only problem with having that <laughs> as the intro is I just want to keep listening to it. I don't want right. to, I don't want to stop. So yeah, absolutely. And I, and I have a fiddle player that plays with me. So, you know, my head got oh. just the, the wheels start turning. I'm like, Oh, if I can learn that little riff on the guitar and then have her no, 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 no. Like that would sound so good. That would be but, cool. You ought to, yeah, yeah, you ought to do that in between songs in a show. Oh, that would be great. We have one that I don't, I don't know if you ever watched the Ken Burns uh, Civil War documentary. Mm -hmm. It's it's an old eighties you know PBS thing, but there's a there's a fiddle part that that goes along with a lot of the shots that is like da 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 da. Yeah, I mean when people hear it, they're like, oh, I know that, and and so if I'm tuning up or I, I gotta get something, I'll have my fiddle player. I'm like, hey, just play this, you know. <laughs> And, right. and and I'll ask if anybody has any uh, any Civil War buffs or any history buffs, if they've ever watched it. And people will raise their hand. I'm like, okay, all right, check this out. And uh, she'll start to play it on the fiddle. And it's just so, it's so beautiful just as a tune. And, yes. you know, people's reaction are like, yeah, they light up just like probably I did when I heard the last of the Mohican song. And then I'll, like, when she gets about a minute into it, I'll be like, in the spring of 45, Grant was on the, you know, you know, Lee was on the run from Fredericksburg through Bull Run all the way up to Optimatics Courthouse, you know, and I'll start doing the narrating from Ken Burns. And, but we're going to have to add the last of the Mohicans to the, uh, to the breaks that we do. Oh, and I expect uh, a recording of that when it happens. You'll be the first to know. <laughs> thank you thank you so nate man this is a this is exciting you're gonna do some music here in a minute but uh let's learn about you so you're from texas right correct grew up in houston uh i was actually so my mom and dad are both from from utah i had five different elementary schools in three different states like we moved a lot and but i ended up in texas in third grade graduated high school you know in in houston so for if anybody uh usually if they ask i sit i spare them the sob story of moving a lot and i just say i'm from houston <laughs> yeah that's probably saves you saves you some heartache of having to move yeah. away that's yeah. tough is that how you became into your guitar like moving so much that's how you would console yourself no uh i mean i played i played baseball and so that was kind of my thing is i didn't start playing guitar until i got to college and so oh. um 
you know, but, uh, I can make friends, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was athletic. It didn't, it didn't bother me so much, uh, moving around. I know it, it was kind of tougher on some of my brothers. Um, and it, but it's never easy leaving people and moving, you know, in high school and middle school and stuff, but it is what it is, but I didn't mind it so much. I don't wish that on my kids. I'm trying to, although I'm not, I don't have a good track record so far, but I'm trying to, trying to keep them, you know, planted in places for a while. Right. Is it, were you, was it a military family? Is that why you moved so much? Everybody asked that, like, it, it was actually the uh, commercial airline industry in the nineties, you know, oh, which is probably just yeah. as transient. <laughs> it right. was, you know, so he worked for, for Boeing and then Eastern airlines and they went out of business and then continental airlines and then you know, subcontractor, Honeywell's and L3s. I mean, he's, he's been all over. So, but, uh, wow. but yeah. And so, but yet sports, I, I imagine helps a lot because sports, I think you have to be friends with your team in order to do it. What was your sport growing up? Baseball. Baseball. Nice. What position did you Baseball. play? Baseball. Center field, lead off, short, fast guy. <laughs> nice. So you were pretty good though, right? Cause I believe <laughs> you played some college ball. Yeah. I played high school, played college. I played uh Juco at Mesa community college in Arizona. That's a really good junior college program. I mean, they're, we went to two World Series. I was there, and and then um, I finished uh, my career at the University of Utah. I spent the last two years, 07, and, uh, at the, the University of Utah playing for Bill Kennenberg, who just who just retired this last week. So, Oh, he did? Wow. I didn't yeah, know that. After 18 years of coaching the U, I mean, he's been in baseball for like almost 40 years. But, but yeah, I, I played baseball, so it was easier to make friends. You know, if you're good at a sport, you show up at recess, and, and you know, you can get picked on, on football and soccer teams, then – easier to make friends but you know it was so it wasn't so bad if you're if you're good at something people tend to like you <laughs> yes <laughs> gonna, you know that's true that's that's you know, absolutely true how was uh how was he as the coach by the way the guy that just retired yeah no coach k was he was awesome i mean there's uh he's got a great reputation too if you ask around i mean there's there's obviously going to be good coaches and bad coaches and and everything in between but you know he he was great coach super knowledgeable really honest and you know he he left the program better than how he found it baseball utah is not known for as a baseball school just you know to be honest i mean it's definitely a, a football and a basketball school first you know so um so when he found it i mean we were in the mountain west they are since in the pac-12 now but but i mean they won a pac-12 championship i mean they've you know they've done a lot of really good things in his time and so um he had you know, hell of a career and just a, a, a really, he's well loved as a coach. You know, a lot of the guys we were all talking on a thread and, you know, we all, uh, a lot of us sent him in videos and stuff. He's just one of those guys that you're grateful, grateful to play for. Mm. So you never played guitar until college. No, I mean, I had asked my parents for a guitar in high school, but you know, understandably, I, you know, baseball, especially in Texas, it's competitive. You know, there's, there's the regular league and then there's all stars and there's select leagues. And I mean, I was so engulfed in baseball. My parents were running me around everywhere that it's like asking for one more thing to do, which, you know, it wasn't like the first thing on their, on their list. They had, you know, I'm the oldest of four boys and we're all doing something. So, but yeah, when I got to school, my, uh, you know, my first year of college, really how I got into it is, is, you know, I had friends in high school that played, but, uh, we had a friend of ours that he died in, our, our, our first semester, our first Labor Day weekend, when we, after we'd all graduated, we we're all in school and he died in a motorcycle accident. And, um, it was, yeah, it's kind of tough, you know, and he, but he was a songwriter and he, you know, he had, he had songs that he, at the, all the campouts when we were in high school and stuff, we'd ask him to play this one song called Lesbian Ex-Girlfriend. It was, you know, it, it, it was a true story. He had a girlfriend of his that, you know, going to the other side afterwards. And he wrote a song about it. And it was hilarious. And we, I mean, and it was, so I'd always known him for that. And we'd always make him play like five times a night and we'd, everybody would sing along. And after he passed, you know, we sat in his room 
at his house and me and a couple other guys and we're just we're just going through his cds and we're just putting them in and listening to them and we um you kind of you, you got to know him a whole lot like a whole nother side of him through the music right through his writing and through you know i'd always loved music but I think that was the first time I really understood the power of, of music and the power of songwriting too, is just kind of like a window into, you know, your thoughts and your feelings and, and, and your soul and the way you view the world and things that are going, you know, in the going on in your life. And we, uh, back in the days of burning CDs, we, uh, we burned a ton of those, you know, and handed them out to all of our friends and we, you know, listened to them forever. And it was just like, you got to know them all over again, you know? And so it was, it was really cool from that aspect. Um, kind of seeing the, I guess, the power of songwriting and songs and the, uh, his, his closest, his best friends played, uh, wish you were here. They played a couple songs, but wish you were here by Pink Floyd at the, at the funeral. And, you know, when I got back to school, you know, that was the first song I learned. I like sat down, borrowed a buddy's guitar and, you know, you printed out the tabs and I just played until I, I learned that song all the way through. And, you know, that was the first time I, I kind of really started picking up guitar was after that. And just, it was kind of the inspiration that carried it on. And, and then, you know, didn't know if I could write songs or not, but I just knew that, you know, playing guitar was cool. It'd probably get some, uh, some, some dates, you know, in college. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and, you know, and then uh, just having that experience where you just kind of realize like how, how, how powerful that is and how, you know, songwriting and music and, and everything, it was really kind of what started me, I guess, down that path. When I look back at like, well, what, what pushed me that way? And, and that was definitely, uh, I think the moment where, you know, my interest turned to that. Wow. So it was pretty, Pretty soon right after. Did you go get a guitar right after that? Yeah, so uh, I did. I mean, so that that year I redshirted and I had to have knee surgery. So uh, I got home from school in May. I bought a guitar and then I, you know, I had knee surgery. I wasn't allowed to walk for two months. And all I did was just play guitar, um, you know, on the couch and in my bed for two months. So, so yeah, it was kind of after my first year of school is when I bought my own guitar. Because all through school, I just borrowed all my, my I had six or seven buddies in the dorms that had uh had guitars so i just used theirs every day or borrowed somebody's but then when i got home yeah i bought my own and and then just started learning stuff on my own oh so you had to you had to compete with the six other guys luckily luckily i was like the only one that could sing i didn't even know that oh. going into college you know i, I uh I, I didn't know. I, I, I didn't, I was never in choir. I was in theater in high school. I played baseball and I was in theater, but I always skipped the musicals cause I couldn't sing. And, um, but at the campouts, I realized like, well, I can at least sing a little bit better than all the guys who can play guitar really well. So that was kind of how I added to, to a lot of our camp out jams and stuff. And, and, uh, and then I kind of started really to find my voice that first year of school. And I guess realizing that I can sing a little bit, I didn't, you know, I didn't know how good it was, but I knew it was just a little bit better than some of the other guys. And, and, uh, so I didn't get robbed, you know, I, I still, I still gave myself a fighting chance. <laughs> so you made up for it with the boys. That's crazy. So you had no clue <laughs> that you knew how to sing until then. I really didn't. And yeah, I mean, I skipped the musicals, never was in choir, you know, just, and, and you know, my mom was musical and played piano and stuff, but you know, none of us learned instruments growing up and just weren't, you know, wasn't a part of our life that we really explored. So it's kind of something I just started to discover my first year of college. That's interesting. So you were doing, you said you did theater was acting. Like, what did you want to do when you grew up? Was it acting that kind of stuff? Um, no, I didn't, you know, then baseball was still the biggest on my mind. Like I knew, I knew it was good enough to go play college. I, and that was my focus is I wanted to go play college baseball. Um, I just enjoyed theater. I, you know, I enjoyed performing. I enjoyed, you know, being in front of crowds. I loved the relationships. I, I still, some of my closest friends in high school and even today I talk to, you know, almost every day uh, are, are some of my theater friends. And so, um, 
you know, it, it, it was, it was kind of a weird, uh, I guess, dynamic where I'm this, I was this jock, you know, and uh, kind of known as a jock, but I hung out with the theater people and, um, you know, luckily my high school wasn't too clicky, but they, but it, you know, it was just, I, I felt like the theater people, you know, they were so entertaining on the weekends and, uh, and, uh, you know, like hanging out, it was always like a monologue with, you know, and, and improv all the time, just hanging out with those type of people is just, they just break out into acting. And I mean, it was, uh, and, and just some of the most intelligent people too, you know, where, you know, jocks and, and a lot of the baseball guys, it was just about partying and all the other stuff on weekend, which I, you know, wasn't as, you know, wasn't as interested in that, but I, I, I just loved, I loved, uh, everything about that. And, um, again, performing and just the relationships and being part of a cast, you know, that was, that was always really fun. But would you hide from the music if there was music in the play? Like you would not want any part no. of it? No. Well, I mean, really, the first show of the year they did as a musical, and mm -hmm. I just would never try out for that one. <laughs> so, right. and then all the other ones that I could, you know, I would, I would only, I'd really actually only get to try out for one play a year because then I had baseball season the the spring semester. So I was really, I was really, I got, I got a shot at like one play, you know, um, and then I just was in the class for the rest of the time, but. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think I was going to be an actor. I didn't think I was going to, you know, I never, never grew up thinking I'm going to be a musician never or an actor or a singer or any of that stuff. It was kind of like, I mean, I honestly thought I was going to go into the military, you know, um, for most of, most of my, I thought I was going to play baseball and then probably do something like in the military is what I thought. Oh, but wow. Life, life changes. Yeah. How did the baseball team handle you being in theater and hanging out with all the theater kids? No, it was cool. I mean, they didn't care. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't a thing. It was just, I don't, I don't think I had a lot of my friends from, from baseball that really hung out with any of them, you know, but the fact that I hung out with them wasn't, it wasn't, it was, I never caught any grief or anything for it. It was just, it was just, I preferred to hang out with them. I think more than, than the baseball guys, it wasn't like they looked at them like they were, you know, dorks or nerds or anything like that. It was just, uh, I just think I gravitated towards them more, you know? Yeah. Just, it was more stimulating, I guess, probably for you. Yeah. I mean, it really was. It really was. I mean, you know, there's some deep thinkers, you know, and, uh, yeah. and, and I mean, and honestly, yeah, but there's a, there's a lot of them that went to New York and I, I have a buddy that, uh, he, he was in a short film that got nominated for an Oscar. He got to walk the red carpet wow. and everything. Yeah. And, um, and I know, you know, some of them were in on Broadway shows and, you know, some, some, uh, are still doing like, uh, makeup and and that sort of stuff i'm so a lot of talent uh a lot of talented friends i they hung out with just smart talented people and i think i just kind of i just loved being around them so but um but i mean as far as i mean i loved baseball you know I, baseball was definitely like that was my that was more my passion you know and and i and i definitely excelled at it that was really what uh like I, I was just focused on in my life and it was kind of like I knew I was going to play college. Maybe, maybe more we'll see, but, but, uh, you know, I, I just enjoyed, I guess, really the, the, just the whole, the, the whole theater vibe. Well, we were talking about the music. Did you want to do a song real quick? Sure. Heck yeah. Grab that guitar. So, I mean, I'll just play the one that's on the radio right now. Um, the song is last call. And I guess the whole idea behind it was, um, you know, you, you hang out at bars, you hang out at dance halls and, and they'll, they'll call last call and last song is playing and then people shuffle out. There's always people who kind of shuffle out in a group of the friends they came with. And then there's, you see some people pairing off, you see some people left behind and there's, you know, a lot of people are on their phones, you know, trying to figure out what they're going to do next. And right. a lot of people can relate to being in a, in a situation where, you know, you're probably not with somebody, but you're probably still not over them. You're not at a point where you can say, no, or turn them down yet. And, um, and so, 
you know, this is just the song is about realizing you're just the last call. And uh, but I'm going to say yes anyways. And uh, just the idea that that came behind it and then just got it, got it, uh, got a tune for it and a melody and just started writing. And I I feel like it turned out pretty good. So this is last call. That was awesome. Thanks, man. Holy smokes. And that's the new single right now that's 
Yeah, that's the up one that's to out. 67, is it? I think I saw. Yeah, that's the one that's out right now, up to 67. 67 climbing. So we're uh, hoping, you know, it's 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 one of those things where it's like you're, I'm so excited about the success it's had so far and, and the response it's getting. And then, you know, there's a side of you that's kind of like Kobe after he wins a game three of a finals where you're, he's like, he's still not smiling. He's like, <laughs> the job's not done. Right. You know? Yeah. And so you're just like, Man, I'm yeah, I'm 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 super grateful and excited, but I'm also like, man, we still got some work. Like, let's get this thing going, you know? Yes. <laughs> like, no, take I it as high it. as it can go. So, but yeah, it's been really fun experience. I mean, it's been out for three weeks, and um, and um, so I'm just uh, I'm enjoying it. That is good. How do we get it higher on the charts? Is it downloads? Like, do people go to Spotify? Search name. Yeah, I mean, them? and there there is a uh, there is a Texas Music Pickers chart on Spotify that if you uh, that they track uh, Texas artists and just Spotify spins. So every time you listen to it on Spotify, it's going to boost me up the chart on 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 the Texas Music Pickers. So um, yes, please check it out on Spotify. And then you know if you're in the Texas area and you listen to country radio, then you can call any radio station and uh, and request it. So yeah. Yeah, so we got to make sure to do that. That's so cool. And you're a singer-songwriter, so you write everything, right? Yeah, I write everything. Yeah, so far, you know, I'll probably down the road, Yeah, uh, everything I put out on both albums is all things that I've written, I've written by, by myself. And um, I just did my first co-write with a guy a couple months ago. And, you know, it's kind of a new experience, but it turned out great. Um, so, you know, probably going to do a, a bunch more co-writing out here now that I'm back in Texas and but uh, so far, everything that I put out and, and usually everything I sing is uh, it's going to be one of mine. What's this uh, co-write one? Is it one you're going to be doing or is this the other person's? Yeah, it's it's mine. It's it's one that uh, I had, you know, probably like 90 percent done. But I had, you know, it's been sitting and I thought, that, you know, the idea was great, but I just didn't know how I didn't know kind of what else to say. And, and I needed something to kind of take me over, you know, the edge and and just some, some something fresh idea and it's hard because you know if you go into a co-write with with somebody kind of like giving up your baby too you know it's, it's, a, it's real vulnerable you know when you give somebody your song and you're like oh man i hope they don't you know take this and have bad ideas you know and so uh <laughs> but i mean i met this guy named zach lindley and he's a stud like he's he's uh he he played he had a really good music career i mean he had songs on the top 100 billboard um you know, the charted and, and, um, met him at some open mics and some other places around, around here. And just listening to him sing, he's like, man, this guy, he sings so well, he plays so well. And then listen to the songs is like, man, this guy gets it. Right. So we decided to get together and I, and we didn't know what we were going to do when we first showed up. Um, I didn't even know I was going to bring this one up, you know, but he was like, well, what do you got? And I was like, I don't know. I flipped through my phone, my voice memos. I was like, all right, I got this song. So we started playing it and we, we, we finished it like on that first session and it was just, everything kind of came together. So, um, I feel like I have to play it now. Do I have to play? I have yeah, to play it I think you've got to. I understand what yeah. you're saying, how vulnerable it is when you have something not ready. I remember yeah. when I was doing comedy, we would, a couple of us would get together and we would kind of pitch premises to each other and see if the other person had any ideas for you. But right. telling them that joke that you don't have anywhere near completed, it's it's terrifying because the look, right. you know, everything is riding on and their their reaction, especially when they don't have the reaction you're wanting. Right. Oh, yes. Horrible. So I totally yeah. get what you're saying with that. Well, and that's the thing is, you know, you're a comedian. So by nature, you're a writer and, and you get ideas. And in your mind, you know, this can be something and you can almost see you know, start to finish what it should be. But sometimes you get to a point where you don't know how to, like the, the, the bridge is walking somebody else to kind of bring, a, you know, like you yes. get as far as you can on the road. And then like, you need somebody else to kind of help carry you across that. 
And I'm sure it's the same same way where you you take this idea and you just kind of massage it and re it and, and get it. So your delivery on a, on a joke is probably got to, it can be funny. It just, it has to be worded the right way. The nuance has to be there. The pause, the, the, the nonverbals when you're delivering it on in live, you know, all the stuff probably has to be in order and for, in order for it to work, but you know, it can work. You just need somebody to help you kind of like, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's interesting that it's kind of the same process with it. All right, let's play it. Let's hear this thing. Yeah, yeah, we haven't cut this one yet. And um, I actually played it at, uh, at my, my show last night. I let off with it. And this is called Guitar in My Hand.
dude, that's killer. Oh, thanks, man. That is good. When, yeah, really happy with how it turned out. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I had everything. I had the second, I had the first, second verse and the chorus, and I just didn't know kind of what to carry the song, you know, the rest of the way. And and then he came up with that, you know, the little feels like it needs to go up here, and it's like, you know, I can tell my down, down, and you know, and it's like, all right, yeah, I like that, and then just started bouncing ideas and and and. It turned out we liked, and I, I love it. I love how it turned out. So man, yeah, that is good. Have you recorded it yet? Or is that something you're planning? I have not. No. Okay. Yeah, we haven't made it to the studio with that. I got, I've got, a, I've got a list of songs, you know, that are kind of lined up to to get recorded, and I've got, you know, three or four that are already recorded that are lined up to to come out. So, um, you know, no shortage of music right now. It's just uh, trying to trying to put it all out in in the most effective way possible. You know, pushing songs off this album so the funny thing is is i recorded this album in mm, november 2019 we had it ready to go um i was going to release it april may of 2020 and the pandemic hit you know quarantine happened march april and it was kind of like well what do we do you know (laughs) because we we'd planned to to push the songs and and do all this and the world shut down so whatever i just released it anyways it's like well i don't know how long this is going to take and you know, we might as well just be able to listen to music while we're sitting in our houses. Right. But, you know, didn't get to get out and promote it. Didn't get to, and it just, you know, honestly, it just flopped, uh, except for, you know, the people that I know. Um, and so, you know, right now I'm still trying to go back to that album. There's a lot of good songs on there. I want to, I want to get out before I start releasing new stuff. So we're a little backed up, but just, you know, releasing a, an album in a, in a pandemic. Now I've learned my lesson next pandemic. <laughs> Oh, that's just, that's terrible timing. So I guess yeah. during the pandemic, you weren't able to promote it. I mean, is that what you right. attribute it to? Basically, you weren't able to yeah. get out and do anything. Right. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't couldn't play shows. I mean, all live music venue, every, all live music was done. You know, there's there's nothing. So yeah, I couldn't get out and and promote it. And then unless you already have a, a like a big name, which I don't, uh, that you know, radio promoters don't want to push a song to a, to a guy who's you know for a guy who's not doesn't have anything lined up to play. Like that's one of the first things they'll ask you when they want to push a song is like, well, are you playing shows? It's like, uh, all right, you got to be you got to be playing and you got to be because you got to promote it as much as they do. I mean, it makes their life easier, you know, if you're out there making making waves. So, um, you know, it was just yeah, tough timing. But everybody, a lot of people had tough timing. It was a tough year for a lot of people on a lot of a lot of things. So. Um, but just trying to, just trying to balance using those songs and, and getting them out and, um, and then, and then being able to drop the, the new stuff. Cause now people, people are thirsty, man. You got to put out music all the time. In the pandemic, like, did you learn anything from, how did you even, how do you survive, I guess, with the music? Like, do you start a YouTube channel? Do you, how do you even right. do that? Do you know? Well, yeah, I think a lot of people did, uh, you know, they, they, they would just do Facebook lives. There's a lot of people doing Facebook live you know, shows and concerts and just kind of living off of tips. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people, I don't know how they made it through, you know, I, I, I was fortunate enough that I'd sold my business the previous year and I had, you know, I had savings to get me through, uh, the pandemic. So, you know, financially we were in a good spot, but I know a lot of people that they lost their livelihood, you know, and they couldn't do anything and just scratching and clawing and, it, it, it was tough, you know, it was just tough on people. And, and, uh, but I mean, we, 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 we made out okay just because we're living off of savings and stuff like that. But it was definitely, definitely a blessing when uh, everything started opening back up. Texas opened up a little bit sooner than than most. So people kind of, they got, they got back into it. The one thing I did because I was bored is uh, I, I just flipped lawnmowers. I, I learned how to. 
Really? Just, yeah, you know, there's nothing to do. And so I just, I actually, I went to like a Goodwill or a DI and there was a lawnmower there. It looked brand new. I was like, what is the deal with this thing? It, you know, they only wanted 30 bucks for it. I mean, it looked like it was just on the on the showroom floor. And so I I, I, I paid for it. I took it home on YouTube and I found out you just got to clean the carburetor. So you just take it off, squirt this, clean it up, put it back on, start it right up, sold it for a hundred bucks. I was like, huh. Whoa. And so, yeah. So I just, you get online like Facebook uh, marketplace or whatever, and everybody's getting rid of old lawnmowers. And so I, uh, I would buy a ton of lawnmowers and, and just sit there and fix them up and turn them around. And, you know, sometimes they need 15, 20, 30, $40 worth of parts. You just needed to clean it out and then, you know, put it back up for sale. It was kind of, you know, I mean, it wasn't really enough to like make a ton of money or living off. Of. I mean, but there's some people that that's what they do full time, but I just kind of did it on the side. Just uh, keep my sanity, just being stuck in the house, you know, so, right. but uh, when people are like, did you learn a new skill during the pandemic? I'm like, yeah, I became a small engine mechanic. <laughs> That's crazy. Did you do that the whole time? Yeah, I mean, I did it for, yeah, pretty much the whole summer. I mean, uh, you know, I was in Idaho at the time. So, you know, there's a there's a window for, for lawnmower needs. And then once the snow hits, like nobody cares. So, but I, yeah, it was, you know, that whole March, April, May, I just started getting into it through the summer. And, uh, you know, I still have lawnmower parts all over the place. I think I scrapped them before I moved, but it was, uh, but it, you know, it was, it was fun. And it was just kind of like an interesting thing and kind of easy and way to make a little bit of extra cash, you know? Yeah, of all things to uh, to fall into, flipping lawnmowers. I don't think I've ever heard those words together. Yeah, it, I mean, you know, entrepreneurs will flip anything if they can, you know. But that, I just kind of stumbled on that one in a in a in a Goodwill where it was just like, what is this perfectly good lawn? You know, because they don't, you know, they don't know any better. Yeah. But then at, at the same thing, there's a lot of people that just have lawnmowers on the side of their house because, well, stop working. So they got another one. A lot of people don't don't fix stuff. But YouTube, I mean, you can learn how to be whatever you want on YouTube. Yeah, that's true. That is one nice thing is YouTube can teach you how to do anything pretty much. Is that what your business was before that you said you sold right before the pandemic? Was no. Sales? So, yeah. So I was, uh, I was in the pest control industry for, uh, 17 years and, and I guess I still, I still am. I, I, I still do consulting and, and some different things for other pest companies now, but, um, yeah, I did, I, through college, I did the door to door thing that, you know, anybody who's been around Utah or in the surrounding areas is probably familiar with all the door knocking companies that recruit and everything. You make good money doing it. It's not for everybody, but if you can do it, it's college kids are making six figures in a summer doing it. And, uh, yeah, there's, and, and I'm not exaggerating. Um, but you know, a lot of kids are making 20 grand and uh, a lot of experienced guys are making 30, 40, 50, 60 grand, but there's some big hitters that are <laughs> pulling six figures, driving Range Rovers in Rexburg, Idaho, oh my uh, because gosh. they're, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating that either. So, um, but so I did that through school and I, so I served my a church mission in Moscow, Russia, and I, I came back and I, I have a degree at the university of Utah. I, I got a Russian studies degree. I thought I was going to be state department or, you know, some sort of intelligence, military intelligence, CIA, FBI. I have a lot of, uh, you know, mission buddies and friends that were in the FBI. I thought that's what I was going to do. And then finished playing baseball and sales. And I was, you know, I was making 80 to $100,000 in four months. And I didn't end up getting a real job. <laughs> you know, I never, I never applied yeah. for any of those things. And so, uh, so for four or five years, I just kept doing that. I would, I would sell and work all summer long, four or five months. And I kind of take the rest of the year off and, and, you know, my wife and I would travel. And, but then it got to a point where it's like, all right, I got to kind of, I can't be on the road. I did a lot of, I was on the road. 
And so uh, I ended up starting a company in 2012, which is the same year that I, I dropped my first album, Crash Course. I was kind of doing music, recording, and, and, I, and I had recorded this album. And I dropped it in September of 2012. And I, my company with a couple of business partners in November 2012, I was naive enough to think I could do both. But, um, <laughs> you know, the business kind of took over. And, you know, in the next six, seven years, it was just, I really didn't do a whole lot with music. Uh, as far as recording, you have experiences and you almost kind of, it's almost a journal and a detail of your life and, and, uh, and to write songs. The, you know, the business, it, it took over and, and and the business started making money, but I just wasn't as happy. I just didn't love it. You know, I didn't, I didn't love the business. Um, and, you know, it became some other things and there's some other stuff that, that went down, but it was also just, I just wasn't happy doing that. And we, we turned a point, we were actually making pretty decent money. And we're about to really, you know, kind of go through the roof and, and just be set within probably the next year. But I, I just gave it up. Like I sold it all and, um, wasn't really even a hundred percent sure what I was going to do. Knew that where I was, I wasn't happy. You know, I could either just there and be unhappy or I could do something about it. Uh, you know, I just decided to, to get out and then we would kind of figure something else out. And we talked about music. My wife is very supportive and I just kind of always felt like I'd never really given it a chance. I also wasn't really 100% confident in what I could do, you know, as a songwriter. I mean, you, you write songs and do things. You just, I thought like, oh, it's something I can do or I can sing. And, and But I didn't really see myself as like any different than most other singer-songwriters. But it took me a while to realize like, oh, like I have a different perspective and people gravitate towards the way I write and the, you know, and the way I sing things and, and that I had something to offer. And so, um, took some of that money, cut, went down to Texas for a week or two weeks and cut an album and, um, turned out so good. Uh, just recording it that, you know, came back and told my wife, like, I really want to go back to Texas and I really want to, I want to pursue music. She was like, okay. And I mean, to have a woman that would be able to, uh, <laughs> just yeah. to give up, you know, all the security of building a business for six, seven years, you know, and you know, we'd been beans and rice for so long. And finally we're at a point where we're gonna, like, we're turning the corner and like, it's not just like get by money, but it's actually gonna be like, we're gonna be comfortable money. Yeah. And then we go, ah, I'm not happy, you know? <laughs> and, and, and she's all really come on. <laughs> yeah. To her credit too. I mean, she, man, she, she could see this for a while that it like something was eating at me. And, um, and just that I wasn't happy. And it was also a lot of her faith in, in, I guess my ability and, and knowing like, Hey, I've, I've built a business. I can, I can build the business side in this music thing. And that I have the songs and I have the, and I have the ability and the talent to do that. I think we both, it took us a while to kind of both come around to that, to that understanding. And, but she's hundred percent supportive of it. And, and I mean, and to, and I honestly, I wouldn't even be here talking to you about the music if it wasn't, if, if I didn't have a wife that would be like, yeah, I believe in you, let's do this. So, I mean, super, super lucky to, uh, to have her at my side. And today's actually our anniversary. So happy anniversary, babe. Oh, happy uh, anniversary. (laughs) Yeah. 13 years. So. Wow. Congratulations. That probably makes all the difference too. It's having her on your side and encouraging you to go back to the music. This owning the small business before, are you using any of that into the music to help build that? Yeah. I mean, business principles are really going to be the same, you know, they're going to translate to probably everything, whatever it is that you do. And I, I learned a lot of good lessons. I learned some hard lessons. Um, and you know, all that's going to carry over and, uh, it's definitely, it's already helped. I mean, and one of the things too, one of my jobs was, was networking and recruiting and, 
all that in my, my old business. And that's really what the name of the game is here. And I feel like since we've been back in, we've only been here four months, you know, just hit it hard and, and um, really made some, some good friends out here, first of all, and then you know, also some good contacts. And, and I feel like networking is, is definitely a strength. And I, and I definitely owe that to, to a lot of my time uh, building the previous business. And then we, you know, we have some security financially while we're, while we're building it and definitely uh, fortunate to, to do that. I think it's, it's one of the things that made it easier on her to make that decision is once we sold our shares of the business and got out, it's like, all right, we got a little bit of a safety net and, you know, we got an opportunity. We got some time to go like answer this question. And that's really, I think what we're doing is we're, there's a question that needs to be answered. I can't be on my seven, I'm 75 years old on my bed, you know, passing away going, man, I wish I would have. And I, you know, I had to answer this question for me and, and I have a best friend that, uh, that's my wife that's, uh, you know, support me on it. And, and I feel like, man, I, I can always go back and start another business, you know, uh, pest control or business or whatever. It's always going to be there. I can start with another one when I'm 50 or 55 or 60 if I have to. You know, you 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 get older, but you realize the older you get, the more time, like how much time you really have. It goes quicker, but you realize, oh, okay, like 30, you thought 30 was old, you know, when you're, when you're growing up. But then for us, like 30 so comes young. and goes. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it's just another day and you dread the number. But then you're like, oh man, you know, I thought, I thought 30 was a big deal, but it's like, you're so young at 30 still, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I just felt like, hey, it's just one of the things I learned. It's like, I, I can always go back and build that again. You know, I can always go back and, and start another pest business or whatever it is. I think we'll be okay. I've always been self-employed. I've never, never been anything but self-employed. And so, um, you know, music, I think, uh, I think I understand now really what my gifts are. Well, my gift is I have something to offer. I have something to say. And that's probably one of the most important things if you're a songwriter and a singer is if you have something to say, people are going to, they're going to identify with that authenticity and people gravitate towards that. Anybody who like consumes music and listens to music, you know, they want to, they really gravitate towards artists who are real and have real life experiences and write about those things because a lot of times they're feeling them too. And it's just not everybody has the way or has the ability to write that in a song or sing it, you know, in the same way, like people probably enjoy humor, but not everybody's going to be able to tell a joke the same way or write a joke the same way. So they gravitate towards people that can, you know, who can tell jokes that, that are funny and that, you know, can, or they're afraid of getting them in front of on stage, you know? And so they, they gravitate towards people that, that do that. And, you know, I think music is that way where you write about things and it's real to you because, and I mean, that's your life, but I think people, identify with that. And they're like, man, I went through the same thing. I mean, I've had people tell me like, Hey, I listened to this song and it helped me get through a hard time or, or, you know, and that's always the coolest, the coolest experiences is when people come up to you and say, Hey, I love this song because it did this, you know, for me, or, you know, I helped me understand this or, or I just love the way you wrote this line, you know, like, you know, all those little things. It's like, you know, when people start to, I guess, get into your music like that, and then it's, it helps with people's emotions and getting through things and, and they identify with that. Like that's, it, that's so rewarding, you know, as, as somebody who puts out music and that uh, just makes you want to keep doing more, you know? Yeah. I bet that's the best compliment you can get from somebody. Yeah. That's cool that you have that effect. You can have that effect on people. I imagine that's nothing greater. I mean, other than, you know, getting a big fat check for it, for a song. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that would be, yeah, that wouldn't be such a bad thing. I haven't had one of those happen yet, <laughs> but, you know, it will, but, uh, it will. yeah, maybe, maybe someday, you know, I've had, I've had some people come and ask me, ask to buy a song from me, oh. you know, and I'm still, I'm, I'm still at the point where I'm like, 
I, I still want to see what I can do with it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, when someone um, does that, what, how much, how much does somebody offer to buy a song for? Well, I mean, there's, there's, there's so many ways to skin that cat. I mean, you mm-hmm. can, you can do an outright amount for it, you know, and there's different ways to get paid with publishing and with the songwriting credits and, um, there's mechanical rights for performing rights and, and all these different things. Oh. And so there, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different ways to monetize a song. Um, you know, sometimes like Willie Nelson sold crazy for like two or 300 bucks back in the days because he, he oh. needed to make rent, you oh. know, but yeah. Oh. So you see, but you know, so you could sell a song and sell the rights and the, and, and the copyright and, and a bunch of stuff just for like a flat amount, or, you know, you can, you can take a chance on it on the back end and, um, and say, well, you know, do this but I just, I want, you know, this much of the publishing or whatever, you know, so there's, you know, it, there's so many different ways to go about it that, uh, I don't, I couldn't tell you what the high dollar amount for, for a songwriter would get for like a really good song, just if it was just outright, um, you know, but it, the low, the low amount can go as low as you can, you know, as low as you want to go. But I mean, it, you know, it, I think a lot of it, I think more people are kind of going for the back end side because it's, it's, with with streaming now you know a lot of it is nobody's paying for albums you know nobody's paying for uh they're not buying records unless you're doing vinyls and stuff but you're not getting as much and every time somebody streams a song you get paid for it and so mm-hmm. you know really what a lot of musicians and artists are doing is they're they're building up they call it mailbox money you know where it's just every forever as long as anybody plays your song you're going to get paid for it until even beyond the time of you dying like there you know people people make money every time it gets played. And that's just kind of how the industry shifted. So, you know, I think more, more people are going to take less and just, and keep as much of the back end money as, as possible. And I play that game of like, well, you know, if somebody cuts this and makes it big and, and they, you know, it's a, it's a George Strait song or whoever, and they play this and, you know, for the next 50 years on country radio, like, you know, you'll keep getting paid for that type thing. So, you know, uh, versus just like, well, give me a lump sum and we'll see if anybody listens to George Strait, you know, it's like, (laughs) you know, if you do, if you do end up selling a song, are you, can you ever play that song again? Or you, you don't have any rights? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can play you know, you can play a song. I mean, it's just like, so I was playing that Hootie and the Blowfish song during the warm-up, you yeah. know, and, you know, like I can go and cover that song, you know, wherever I want. You know, if I perform it, you know, um, and I, I can register myself, you know, Hootie and the Blowfish will get paid performing that song. Now, I mean, a lot of places, they don't they do not do that, but I like smaller venues and things. But I mean, most of the, like big venues, they're going to they're gonna get paid for the performing rights. And then, and you know, if somebody covers that song on stage, like the artist will get paid for that. So you can still, you can play songs as much as you want. It's just, uh, and really once a song is out, anybody can cover it. You just, so you just need to have like all of your copyright stuff in place. Like you got to be registered with a performing rights group, you know, uh, uh, or PRO performing rights organization and, and be able to get paid on it. So, um, you know, unless they have some sort of like a publishing, uh, clause of some sort where it's like they don't they don't want anybody to do it most i think most everything can can be covered and you just have to pay the people for it but there's some songs that are super expensive if you take like a you know taking care of business type song you know and and you want to oh i want to use this song in my commercial well then you got to contact the publisher and they're gonna be like well if you want if you want to use a you know 10 second clip of that song you got to pay us 20 grand you know so yeah so sometimes sometimes so so you know you get a hit like that you can kind of command almost whatever people will pay and, you know, big, big time hits like that are just, I mean, they make those guys money for forever. 
um, because, you know, if it shows up in a movie, you know, think about uh, Creedence Clearwater's like, that showed us that showed up in every war movie ever made since they put that song out. Yes. You know, true. Yeah. It's like the quintessential war movie. Yeah. And, and so, or war song. And so, you know, people are going to go, Hey, we want to put this song in our movie. I'm sure they can just go, well, got to pay us this much if you want to use this song in the movie, you know, you know, you can, you can, you can get paid a lot of different ways, you know, just publishing and then also streaming. And I mean, all this, all this different stuff. So, um, you know, really good songs. And you hear about one hit wonders, like those guys get set for life. If they write a, if they write a hit, can you, you were talking about the hoodie and the blow. Can you do that song? I'll do, I'll do like the first verse and, and like the first chorus. Though. Okay. All right. Back in the day when I was learning a bunch of songs, this, this was always one of those like, just loved. I loved that whole album, the Crack Review album. Oh, so good. Start to finish was just money. She sits alone by lamppost Trying to find a thought that's escaped her mind She says dad's the one I love the most Stops not far behind lets me in only tells me where she's been she's had too much to drink I said I don't care I just run my hands through her dark hair and pray to God you gotta help me fly away saying let her fall down that way let her sing and if it eases all their pain let her go let her walk right out on me and if the sun comes up tomorrow let her be Gosh, dude, you sound a lot like Hootie. Do you know off the top of your head, you said the first one was Wish You Were Here. Do you know any of that off the top of your head? Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's hear that. Uh, Did you exchange 
Nice job. I know. The, the, everybody's always waiting for the... Oh, yeah. But yeah, uh, no, you need a second guitar, but yeah. Iconic. No, yeah, it's a great song. Yeah, it's oh, so yeah. Who would you say uh, inf- is your influence? I think you sound a lot like Hootie. I listened to everything growing up. Now I think about it, I mean, my parents listened to classic rock, so my dad was always, you know... Seeger and Tom Petty and Credence and ZZ Top and you know my mom she loved you know Boston and Kansas and all the rest of it you know but uh, 90s I, I mean and I listened to grunge I listened to Nirvana and, and Pearl Jam a ton I, Tupac and Biggie were some of my favorites like I, I listened to literally everything and of course country music but I think when I started playing I mean there's, Texas has its own scene of, of music I mean they have their own chart um, and, and back in the day I Really, I think I followed and listened to Pat Green the most. Um, and back then, you know, ever since Willie and Waylon showed up to Texas, there's always been this kind of like anti-Nashville, you know, anti-establishment. You know, we're going to do outlaw country and Texas country our own way type thing. And it was, it was that way for a while. Pat Green was kind of one of the first where he he kind of, I think, bridged the gap between Texas country music and, and Nashville and, and kind of went a little more mainstream. And since then, they've had a lot of, other bigger artists that have, have come out and, you know, gone up and, and, and played and gone nationwide. But um, there's a, there's a host of Texas guys that I could rattle off that probably nobody's heard of, but I just, I listened to a ton of them and they, and they, you know, pay tribute to the older guys and the Merle Haggards. And there's a lot of those guys like Pat and Randy Rogers, those types that I've listened to a ton. And I think have really shaped kind of how I write and, and a lot of things that I, a lot of things that I play and, and cover, you know, there's always, I love playing like old, old George Strait type stuff. And, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard for me to kind of point to and just say one thing because a lot of times I'll play songs or I'll hear a song and go, man, I want to write a song like that. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, like I, I, and I, it's one of the things I try and do on my albums is not sound the same going the whole way through and, you know, not, you know, change up the tempos and, and change up, you know, the song material, what I'm singing about and what I'm writing about. And, um, and so I, I honestly will look to anybody and go, and go, man, that's a pretty cool, you know, classic rock song. I kind of want to write a song like that or, you know, yeah. and so I can, I, it's kind of, and a lot of times it depends too on what, what's your mood. Like, what do you, what do you feel like? And what do you want to write about? And so, um, I mean, I could, I could sit there and talk about all the, all the different people, but I, I'll, I'll listen to anything. And then it's just like, if I kind of want to write a song like that, or I want to have that type of song. And, um, and if the right things to say are there in my brain, I'll just, I'll try and make it happen. Wow. So what's the process for writing a song? Do you come up with it on guitar first or do you come up with the lyrics first? How does that work? You know, I think the idea is there first, right? So it probably, it's like, all right. Uh, well, and again, it can happen a lot of different ways, but you can, you know, you can have an idea um, that is like, oh, this would be funny to write a song about. 
and then it's just a matter of sitting down and kind of working it out and, and figuring out what you want to say and, and the rest of it. And then there's sometimes where it's like, you just have an emotion that you want to get out, you know, and you don't yeah. know exactly what it is and, and you don't even know what you want to say. And so you'll, you know, you'll start playing with different, you know, progressions and chords and, and, you know, different sounds to kind of match that feeling. And then, and then sometimes you'll just start singing stuff that doesn't make sense until something does make sense. And then, you know, it's like, Oh man, that sounds good. Let's, and then you build around it. So, I mean, it can happen any which way where, you know, sometimes it's just, it's the progression first. Sometimes it's the idea or the line or the hook of the song. Sometimes it's just a feeling of like, I feel this way and I need to write a, you know, a sad song or I need to, you know, I need to want, I want to write a funny song or, you know, what it, and so you sit down and try and do those things and you don't even know what you're going to say. I think the biggest thing is you just try not to force it. Right. Yeah. Any, any way that it happens, it's just, that's kind of how it's supposed to happen. And, but it it is hard to kind of sit down and go, all right, I'm going to, I just want, we need to make this type of song. And, you know, it's like, you got to kind of have an idea or an inspiration or like a, a feeling to, to, to go do it. So like, and and for example, um, So I, I hunt a little bit. You could probably see uh, the deer, the, uh, yeah, the deer out there, and my my elk one hundred and one hat and <laughs> my yeah. Cam Haynes shirt. Um, you know, there's that phrase that people got where they say they got game or they can spit game or you know game recognized game. There's all those things. And I told my wife one night, I was like, "Hey, you know, I got I got a lot of game in the freezer. Like I <laughs> I, I hunt game." So I wrote I wrote a song, <laughs> and this is actually we've recorded this one, and it, this is going to be the next release that we put out. This is called I Got Game. Well, it started with a BB gun when I turned eight. Shoot coke cans 20 yards lined up on a gate and backcountry home. Glassing up them hills cause I'm picking up sheds like they were dollar bills. Dropping magpies out grandpa's cherry tree. Right about then, well, it occurred to me that I love to hunt. Got varmints on the land. Hogs are in the crops. Coyotes got a hen. I love to hunt. It's manna for the taking. Morning dove and bob bites. I wrap them all in bacon. Yeah, I like my birds wild. My fence is low. Free range, fair chase, non GMO. Ain't no room on my wall. My freezer's full. Ain't no money or fame. But you can say I got game. Out six hound dog trap line bow and some sticks yeah what we're going for i don't discriminate because if i got a tag it's gonna get eight you can raise a cow through 4-h adoption not eating meat man that just ain't an option because i love to hunt white tail from a stand chase bull elk across public land i love to hunt Man, I'm for the taking, chucker and some horns. I just wrap them all in bacon. Yeah, I like my birds while my fence is low. Free range, fair chase, non GMO. Ain't no room on my wall. My freezer's full, ain't no money or fame. But you can say I got game. You can say I got game. 
<laughs> Dude, that's awesome. How long does that take you to write? Uh, you know, that one took me about 30 minutes. That's uh, it. That was one of those where it's just like, yeah, he sat down and it was like, oh, this is funny. Just locked myself in the bathroom and came out. And uh, my wife's like, you're just, that is crazy. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's some songs, you know, it'll take you 10, 20, 30 minutes. I mean, I've had some songs that have taken me four or five years. You know, you just, it's like you run out of something to say or it's not, you know, like, like I don't want to waste this idea on a bad sound. So you just put it on a shelf and come back to it. And, and you know, but there's, it, it could take any amount of time to, to write something. It's just, and uh, you just, like I said before, you don't want to really force it. So it's like when, when the, when the moment's right, or, you know, the right things are there to say you do it. But when it comes together like that and, and you got, you know, a song like I got game and uh, uh, that those, those are always, it's really nice. It's really nice to have something like that. Yeah. And that's what I've heard that it's always the best ones. They're completed within an hour or a half hour. Like, yeah. like you just said, and it probably feels so good when it just comes together. Oh Yeah. You know, it, it's exciting too because you you know that, that people are gonna love it. Like you know, especially people who hunt, spend time outdoors. You know, just make they're making jokes about how you you want your food, you know, free range, grass fed, non GMO. You know, because because yeah. there's so many people that are like, you know, you you shouldn't hunt. Like you can just go to the store. Like why would you go up there? And it's like, well, they're grass fed. They're not genetic genetically modified. And then their head just spins and explodes. So like, huh? You'd think for people that love all natural, they would love that. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And they're like, what? But I mean, and yeah, I mean, and, and, and I hunt and fish and do all that stuff. I, I've gone to Alaska. I've got salmon and halibut in the in the freezer too. And and I'm one of those guys where like I hunt and I keep the food if I don't, if I'm not, uh, if I'm not going to keep it, unless it's like a varmint or a, you know, predator or something like that, coyotes or hogs are really tearing up the crops and stuff like i really hunt for food i don't kill things and trophy hunting and all that kind of stuff uh, a lot of guys focus on taking care of the meat and prep prepping the meat and a lot, a lot of people don't understand that side of it of of like yeah there are the idiots who are out there and they're drinking beer and they're dry you know they're riding around on the razors or whatever and they're just you know that don't have respect for for you know what they're doing but the majority of hunters, you know, they respect the animals. There's a lot of rules in place. You know, they they support conservation and and getting, like, preserving the numbers and and the opportunities and the friendships and stuff you make are of course part of it. But um, most everybody, and there, you know, there is a culture of like you got to do this the right way and respectfully and and you know you don't waste stuff and you know you're not wasteful and any, and really anybody who poaches or. I mean, you want to get a hunter mad, mad, like talk about poachers and people who waste stuff outside the, the lines. Like it's, it's hard for some people to understand why, why, you know, if you respect something and you, and you love it so much, then why do you hunt it and kill it? And, you know, and it's like, it, it's, it's hard to explain that about cows too, you know? And I mean, but there's some people who just want us to not eat meat at all or whatever. And it's like, Hey, that's not, you know, not eating meat's not an option, you know? I but That's it, a good know, point. I'm not a big hunter, but for someone that doesn't know hunters, it's hard to understand the respect and the love that they have for it. It's, it's, I think some of them need to go kind of hang out and see exactly what it is. Cause I don't think it's anything like they think it is. Yeah. Being out in the mountains and, uh, you know, in nature, I mean, I've seen so many sunrises on mountaintops that I would never have seen otherwise, you know, so many, so many sunsets and, and I've been so many places because of hunting and, and seen so many things that, you know, the, it's given me an opportunity to, to really appreciate the outdoors and, and, you know, have, have a desire to preserve all those things. And funny, cause uh, some on the Instagram stuff, like I'll, we were on Frank church wilderness. I mean, it is like in the middle of nowhere in the middle of Idaho, there's not, there's not roads allowed. We were, you know, 20 miles in and we found a, we found one of those balloons that people just let go, you know? Yeah. And, and, and hunters find balloons all over the mountains because people let them go. 
and and we find them, you know, in the r- most random places. And we're just like, hey, stop sending balloons out here. You know, like we're, <laughs> right. you know, that's it, weird. Like, I've never heard that. Yeah. It was like a lot of things end up in the oceans. And, and, and so people are like, save the turtles, don't plastic that, the, you know, all this yeah. other stuff. We're like, hey, I mean, we, I mean, we find them in the weirdest places. And it's just like, we're, we're picking up trash and litter in the mountains, you know, after people who are just letting stuff go. But I mean, so we're, but we're very conscious of, of protecting the environment and they make efforts of like making sure these animals are surviving and their population numbers are managed and they can be taken care of so that these opportunities to, to go out or are there, but it really is. It's different. I got a buddy who in LA, the one I was telling you about one of my theater buddies that he's in LA now. And I've told him like, you need to come on, on a hunt with me and, you know, just experience it and just be there and understand like it, it's, it is a hard thing when you, when you take an animal, it's not one of those things where you take it lightly and, and <clears throat> because it's like, you don't want their, their life to be wasted. So you really do everything you can to keep to keep the meat and, and to preserve it, you know, keep the flies off it, you know, get it back home. And, and I mean, we've, we've had elk steaks and, and hamburger for, for several years now off of just one animal. And there's a meat shortage right now going around. Like I guess some hackers, you know, they got to the gas supply and they're talking about how they're attacking the meat hunt industry. And I mean, hunters are just laughing. We're like, there's a meat shortage. What? <laughs> Where? Because I got plenty of it. I got I got so much meat right now. I'm giving it away to my neighbors. Right. What meat shortage? I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> somebody hacked somebody, some farmer's computer. What? No, I drag mine off the mountain. I'm good, man. Thank you. Right. Oh man, that's a great point. Yeah. You guys shouldn't even care. You can take an elk and quarter it out. And 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 when people are like, well, well, you eat a hamburger from the store, where does your meat come from? Well, I don't know. I can tell you exactly where mine came from. I can drop a pin. I can show you pictures, you know, from yeah. from you know, like I know exactly what, what it is that we're consuming and that, you know, they're, and, and elk is some of the most healthy protein, like per grams meat that you can find. It's lean. It's, it's packed with also other minerals and stuff that cows don't, don't have, um, just because of their diets and stuff. I mean, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of arguments and, and things for that, but I mean, the ultimate point really is just that, um, you know, that there, there's a whole lot more to it, I think, than people on, on the surface realize when people don't understand it or they're not affiliated with it and, and they just think about the killing part. And it's like, yeah, there, there are people out there who ruin that for us, but man, we're just as much against them. And we, you know, we will turn in poachers and, and the rest is as fast as anybody that's not playing by the rules and not respecting the animals. And, um, you know, but, and then could I just go to Walmart and pick up my meat? Yeah, I could, but I wouldn't work out as much as I do, I wouldn't get myself in shape. I wouldn't, you know, it's a lifestyle where it's like, Hey, I, I can't, I can't go to the mountains fat. So I have to keep myself in shape, right? you know, to, to handle some of these things. And so, you know, it makes my life better, you know, preparing for some of these things, the memories I've got with best friends out there, the scenery that I've seen. I mean, I, I owe all that to, to hunting and, and, and fishing too, like going to some crazy places to, to fish. But, um, it's just, it's one of those things that, I think when people, when they would go, if they could experience it, they'd be like, oh, okay. You know, and they would, they would, yeah. Right. What's the most exotic place? Would that be Alaska? You said you went up there. Yeah. So I've only fished in Alaska. I haven't done any hunting, but, um, but, uh, I mean, yeah. And that's a whole different world and that it is, it is a frontier uh, all of its own. But, uh, if you, if you haven't had a chance, if you like to fish and you haven't had a chance to go fish the, the salmon run, you know, late, late July and August it's just, it's a cool experience, you know, salmon fishing and, and, uh, I've done some hikes and, and gone to some cool places. And, uh, we, uh, I've, my cousins live up there in Anchorage and 
Well, they live in Wasilla and Palmer, and we went up on this hike, and it was, I've never been to Scotland or Ireland, but it's every picture you've ever seen where it's just kind of green, rocky slopes with the mist and, you know, it's rainy. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those, you know, just a cool, just a cool scene. And we were riding down the mountain in the truck, and they were playing some Irish pub music in the truck. And I was like, we should, we should just write an Irish pub song about Alaska. And they looked at me kind of like, like, what are you on? You know, like, <laughs> who does that? Over the next two days I was in Alaska, I ended up writing this song called Anchorage Away and, you know, kind of a like a play on Anchors Away. Uh, but I guess I'll play it because this is just of the random stuff that you can write about, I guess, right? In Alaska lay my head under Mount McKinley Left my woman in her bed could not take her with me oh the silvers call my name i hide old keen i write a letter to my love might stay here till i die anchorage away my friends i will not run for long dip your nets and cast your lines for all ones are gone when the river sings her songs you draw the sirens way kiss your love and bid farewell it's anchorage away midnight sun rear hides her face beyond the yonder mountain pray the ocean make our day twice she gave her blessing how to tell my love at home about my russian bride Filled my chest and stole my heart on the second time. Anchorage away, my friends, they will not run for long. Dip your nets and cast your lines, for all the kings are gone. When the river sings her songs, you draw the sirens way. Kiss your love and bid farewell. Anchorage away. Sound not far away, the board tide rushes in. Man the shores and form a line, let the run begin. Anchorage away, my friends, they will not run for long. Dip your nets and cast your lines, for all the kings are gone. When the river sings her songs, you draw the sirens' way. Kiss your love and bid farewell, it's anchorage away. I love it. And that's not, that doesn't sound like anything that, that you, Nothing that you like do. That. Yeah. No. That's yeah, cool. It's, no, it's completely random, you know, where it's, why, why in the world would I ever write an Irish pub song? And then I'm just in Alaska and I'm listening to it going down a truck in a, you know, and it's raining and I'm just like, this would be a great idea. Like what? And my cousins are like, what are you talking about? And, and all the experiences that I had, you know, hiking and going different places and fishing and all that, we just put all that into the song. And I was even asking them questions of like, well, how would you say this? Or, you know, what's, I wanted to get all like the, the terminology, right? So it sounded like I was from Alaska or somebody from Alaska would be like, how did he know that? You know? <laughs> and right. so, you know, like they refer to the, to the sun as the midnight sun. Cause it doesn't set at, at different parts and the boar tide, like 
you hear the sound not far away. The sound is like the, like the bay, like, you know, like there's a Puget sound and, and on Seattle, they have a sound. So you hear the sound. It's kind of a double entendre of like, you can hear the noise, but you can also hear the bay and of the boar tide rushing in. And that's just that big wall of water that comes in and they call it a boar tide. And it just, it, uh, you know, just, just, just little nuanced stuff like that, where it's like, people are going to go, huh? Like, how, you know, if they're from Alaska, they're going to, they're going to think like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. You know, like, yeah. how does he, how does he know all that stuff? You know, that, that's one of the fun things about songwriting is, is just some of those challenges of, of trying to understand things and then, and then express it in a way where people are going to be like, oh, well, that was interesting you know and like how did he know that and also like oh this song's good you know <laughs> like hopefully yeah. you pull that off and so um you know but uh that one we just we and we we threw that one on the album last i i got a guy who played like an irish punk band or whatever who played fiddle in an irish punk band to come play the fiddle on that on my album oh and cool. so it, it turned out pretty good do you usually when you're going and doing shows do you usually play with a full band yeah most of what i'm doing right now is me and a fiddle player um i've got some full band shows coming up um, me fiddle player. I, I have a bass guy that comes with, uh, on some of it. So we'll do like a three piece. A lot of times it just depends, you know, uh, coming out of the, out of the quarantine, you know, a lot of places weren't doing full band shows cause people still weren't really showing up. It was kind of like iffy, you know? And, and so there's some places that are already doing full band stuff. And then a lot of places are just booking single act or, or, or duo stuff. And, um, but we've got some on the horizon. Most, I, I want to get to a point where it's full band every weekend, you know, but right now it's, it's me and my fiddle player. Uh, her name's Grace Partridge. She's a, I get to brag about her a little bit. She's a national champion fiddle player for Rigby, Idaho. And, um, Whoa. so she's with me. Yeah. So she, she's 16 years old. She's the junior national champ and, uh, what? she plays fiddle. Yeah. 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 Like I couldn't walk over my own two feet without tripping over <laughs> myself at 16. Right. Me too. Oh this girl plays mandolin fiddle she plays guitar better than i do she's learning steel guitar I and mean, she's you know she can play drums if you need her to she's just a little swiss army knife and and she's good and um and so she she plays with me um everywhere i go uh she's there we're gonna kind of get to a point where it's just full full band you know every weekend my favorite is yeah just the acoustic i don't like all the i don't know the studio stuff i guess you know where i like to hear how they actually right. sound you know, does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. You know, I mean, there, there's something to say about music when it's in an intimate setting and, and you know, it's not just drums and guitar, you know, and like you can't hear yourself think, you know, uh, especially if it's music you want to listen to and, and enjoy, man, you, you, those are some of the best, the best. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of artists will do that where they'll do little just acoustic shows and acoustic runs and, and those are always great, you know, oh. to... So to good. sit in some of those settings and, and hear their voice, you know, and um, yeah, totally know what you're what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Like uh, Aaron Lewis from Stained, like he Stained was awesome. I really liked Stained, but him when he goes and does just the solo acoustic stuff. Good mm -hmm. night. That's right. Stuff, it is so good. How did being in Russia? Because you said you served a mission. So you lived in Russia for two years. Correct. And did, how did that shape you? Did you do you think that plays into your songwriting Anything like that? You know, for anybody who goes on a mission and lives, you know, the mission shapes you no matter what. Um, and it's a, you're so young and it's such a different experience. No matter where you go, whether it's stateside or foreign or whatever, you know, you're really kind of on your own for the first time. And, 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 you know, being in Russia in particular, obviously it, uh, Russia is a completely different world. I mean, the way they view the world is different. They, they're the the country's so much older. They have such a rich history. It was it was crazy from one aspect of me getting called there. 
my grandparents and my parents grew up during the Cold War where it's like going to Moscow and, and going to Russia was just never an option for so long. You get called to go to Moscow. That, that was kind of, it was mine. I went in 2001. So it was only 10 years after the Soviet Union had fallen, which is a blink of an eye, really. Yeah. And, and, you know, so the idea that like you're going to, uh, to, uh, to Moscow right after the, the Iron Curtain had fallen, you know, and then, yeah, that, that, for, that's kind of boggling for, for people who grew. I mean, I don't think a lot of the younger ones nowadays are going to quite understand that, but it'd, it'd be almost like, you know, me going to Afghanistan right now. Yeah. Know, yes. and, and, be, and being able to walk the streets without, you know, it, the, the thing changed so much in, in a time frame where, you know, Afghanistan was so different that we could go walk through Afghanistan. And was, it, yeah, was there mean, a lot of resistance from the Russian, the Russian people? You, I think you get both because you get people who are very protective of Russian identity and the Russian Orthodox church. And they're like, oh, these Americans, you know, coming in and doing this. And then there's people who, who have never met an American before. They're like, you're American. This is so cool. I've never met an American. You know, you get people who are very receptive of like, come to my house, like meet all my family, <laughs> you're, you know, you're Americans. And then there's other people who are like, oh, you're American. You're a spy. Like we actually got arrested one day um, for being spies, you know, and taking to jail for a day so un until we got all that worked out but you what know you get happened God, so you <laughs> you can't yeah, glance I mean, over that <laughs> yeah so me and a companion we're in this place called Himki, which back in the day was kind of their uh kennedy space center type place i mean it, during the cold war they didn't allow foreigners in that city at all and so but we were out one day and uh we stopped this family and we were like hey we got you know we want to message with you and uh about eternal families or whatever. And, and the guy's like, well, let me see your documents. He's in plain clothes. And we're like, cause they're in Russia, you have to carry your, your passport and you have to have a registration with you at all times. They can stop you randomly and, and check all that. <laughs> and we were like, well, not like we're, you know, and he's plain clothes, but we're like, no, nah, we're like, we're, everything's in order. We just, we wanted to, you know, see if you guys want to talk. And then he starts yelling at us and he's like, you guys are spies. And you know, this, that, and the other, he gets on the phone. He called, he calls the police, you know, in Russian, he's sitting there going, yeah, I got these American spies here. Like they're in the, you know, oh. here, they're here causing a ruckus. I mean, and he's, he's like kind of lying about us right there, you know, just yeah. like he's, you know, they're causing trouble down here, da, da, da. Like we need people here. And my, my companion and I, we look at each other. We're like, well, like we can't run. We can't leave now. Cause then it just looks, looks bad. So we're <laughs> like, we're just going to sit here. And so we sit there, we wait this militianeri or the police, the, the militianeri show up, three of them pile out. They've got AK 47s, you know, like the little short stock ones yeah. they get out. And the guy's like, yeah, it's these two. And so he never like pointed the gun at, you know, at us, but it was basically like, all right, get in the truck, you know, like oh. it was kind of here, but it was like, get in the truck. So it's like, all right. So, you know, my companion is like six, five, he sits on this side. I climb in the middle and then this dude sits on my lap and he lays his AK like across his lap, like, you know, kind of in our direction. <laughs> and this is 2003, like spring of 2003, we had just invaded Iraq. U S had just invaded Iraq. So this guy starts just yelling at me. Why are you guys invading Iraq? Like you're the Americans, you know? So he wasn't too, he was none too happy with us, but, yeah. um, the guy was out there telling whatever else. And so the two get in the front and they're hauling us off to this, like, like we're, I hope we're going to the station and they get us the whole way there. They're, they're at like, what are you guys doing here? We're like, Oh yeah, we're like, we're missionaries here. We're, we're just here for two years, like service. We, you know, we, we like to help people. We do, you know, we teach English for free. And like, we're trying to make, you know, make yeah. ourselves sound. And we're, and we're, we're still speaking Russian to them or whatever. And we get to the station. By the time we get there, there's one of those glass things that there's somebody behind there. And 
the guy gets there and he's like, he goes around behind the glass, but you can hear him. Hey, I've got these two Americans here, speak Russian pretty well. And I don't know what to do with them. Like, what do we do with them? You know? So the lady like looks at us, she comes around, she takes our passports and she, she leaves. And so, um, we're standing there and then some guy comes out of another room. He's like, give me your passports. We're like, we gave them to her. I'm like, okay, you don't move anywhere. We're like, we're okay. We're not going anywhere. And then later somebody else comes out, give me your passports. We're like, she's got them. And, um, they loved seeing pictures of us, of, of like our houses and, you know, of America and stuff's pictures with us on these little booklets. And we're like, oh, she's got that. But Hey, do you want to see my house? Like, or Hey, do you want to see my, I have a dog. You want to see what America looks like? You know, and some guys were like, yeah, let's see it. You know? And then some guys were like kind of angry at us the lady comes back. She's like, all right, you stay here and you're going to come with me. And, and I was like, well, Hey, we don't split cat wherever we go. We have to stay together. They're like, why? I was like, it's just our rules. So they're like, all right. So they take us down this hall. We're going past these jail cells. They take us to his room with, and on the door is the longest Russian word I've ever seen in my entire life. It's like 23 letters long. And I'm flipping through my, my, my dictionary trying to figure out what this word means, you know? But I couldn't get to it in time. You know, a room with a single table and a lamp and chairs on both sides. You know, like one of those you kind of like see. An interrogation type thing? Yeah, you know. Oh yeah, God. and the guy, we, he walks in with our passports. He puts his feet up on the table. Like, all right, boys. You know, he starts <laughs> thumbing through our passports. Tell us, tell me why you're really here, you know. And so we just kind of keep repeating ourselves. And, um, you know, we went back and forth just talking about stuff. And then I look over at my, uh, at my companion. This is the best part of this whole thing. So in our, you know, we go on a mission, you have a mission president, you know, a guy that, that, uh, you know, that kind of runs our mission or whatever. But I, I just, I look over at my companion and go, Hey man, you should probably call the office and have them tell president that we're here. And the, the guy behind the table, his eyes went like twice as big. Just like they went so wide. Like <laughs> he looks at us both like super, like you can see the whites in his eyes and he goes, President Bush. <laughs> and he thought we were talking about, we had to talk, we, I had to call president know that we were, we were in the jail cell. And there was like a pause where I was like, do I just run with this? Yeah. And I was, you know. Cause it can and, either go good or bad if you're saying, yeah, it's the president. Right. Oh my God. I mean, we're like, we're in suits and ties. Like we look good. You know, we look like we could be government people except for our missionary tags, but he's like president Bush. And I was like, no, no, he's the president of our organization, you know. He's like, okay. He's like, all right, well, someone's coming from Moscow to check it. And, you know, and then he's like, they're going to be a fine. And, and then, you know, we'll see. We'll probably let you go. I was like, well, like, we know of our in order, but if, you, if there's going to be a fine, you have to talk to our organization because they've got lawyers that are going to talk to you. Like, we're, you know, I, I, we're not going to pay you a fine. He's like, well, there might be, maybe not. I don't know. We'll think, well, they get here. I don't know. We'll see. And then somebody finally comes from Moscow you know, half a day later. And, uh, she takes 20 seconds, looks at her passports and goes, this is all fine. Why am I here? And he's like, well, I don't know. Like they said that they were out, you know? And so then they were like, all right, well, you're free to go. So they just like walked us out and we just got on the street and left. And I mean, it was just, it was, it was a, it was a funny experience. It was like, at sometimes it was a little like hairy when they come out with, all right, they thought of the truck with three AK 47s. This is a little too much, you know? And then it's like, you don't know exactly what they're going to do, but I mean, overall it was, it was a fun experience. You know, it was just yeah. one of those like, Oh yeah, we got arrested for a day for being spies. <laughs> like we weren't spies at all, but they called, they said we're being doing spy stuff in the park. So but what, what were was, you guys uh, doing it, in the park in the first place? We're just looking around, you know, talking to people. Right. And, it, you know, just randomly, we want to share a message about the gospel. We want to share a message about, you know, eternal families. And that was what we did with this guy. Turns out that guy was a police officer. So we, he was just off duty. And and so when we talked to him, he was, you know, he called all of his buddies and the cavalry came out. Because we, we ran into him on a bus the next day. And we're like, hey, man, 
Like we just like we just wanted to talk to you. And he kind of like grinned. Like he was really cool with us the next day. So by the time we got off the bus with him, like we shook his hand and everything was all cool. But it was <laughs> but it was pretty funny. You know what I mean? It was like Man, that could have been just, that could have been a bad situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it, it was different. But it, you know, I there's a lot of weird stuff that went on when I was in Russia. You know, I could I could spend the rest of the podcast talking about it, but it, it, just generally I always felt like, man, if I'm going to, like, if there's ever a time for me to go, like, I might as well go on my mission because, like, then I can punch my ticket to heaven and everything will be good. Like, this is the best chance I got right now. You know? So <laughs> I, was like, I was like, damn, that sucked to die, but, man, at least I, you know. I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I'm going to get my golden ticket to the Willy Wonka factory and, and we're good to go. So, right. you know, it's like you kind of have that. I can't control the craziness of Russia. Russia is what it is, you know, but I, I honestly, I loved my time there. I, you know, I, I love the people. I love the, the, I mean, all the experiences. And I really feel like if I, if they didn't make me come home after two years, I would have just stayed. I, I was, I was loving it. So did you love you it know, right it, off the bat or was it an acquired taste? No, I loved it. You know, it was, it was all, it was all new. It was an adventure and, I didn't, I, I know and it's not, not everybody, some people get homesick and some people, you know, it's hard. The language is hard. And I think, I think all those things factor in for everybody on a certain level, but I, I just, I just took it for what it was. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not one of those people that worries about things I can't really control. And it's like, you know, you make a decision to go out there, you make the best of it. You know, nobody, nobody makes you go on a mission. You don't have to do that. It's, it's, it's ultimately your decision. So, you know, if you're going to go out there, it's just like, got to have the best attitude you can. And, and, you know, you're there to learn and, and, uh, and help people. And so just got to kind of focus on the things that you can control and just not worry about the rest. And, and I think that's kind of true with just about everything. And I, fortunately, I think I kind of, there's just my attitude with, with a lot of things in life. So, you know, and that just kind of makes all the difference, but I mean, it, it wasn't quite the mid nineties, wild West Russia, you know, there's some crazier stuff that went on earlier, but I mean, it was the Russia still, I mean, we got stopped by mafia guys and different things. I mean, it, there's some of that that goes on, but I, but for every story I got of that, I just, there's other cool stories I could tell that, you know, just, people being so kind and but those aren't you know, as I fun met, right they're not no <laughs> but if you're a history buff I'll, I'll just say this like they have may day uh may 7th is victory day i met a guy he fought all the way in world war ii to to berlin and the last time he'd seen an american was in berlin in 1945 oh. and then i met him at a parade and got to shake his hand you know they're really big on world war ii and monuments and stuff like that that was one of the coolest experiences of my life because i just love I've been in Normandy. I love the World War II history. Like I could talk about battles and stuff all day. And to meet a guy who fought all the way to Berlin, who'd met and hung out with Americans pre-Cold War, seen the whole Cold War, lived past it. You know, I'm the first American that he had seen or met since 45. That was just such a cool experience. That is cool. Was he excited to see you? Yeah, I mean, he was he was actually he was pretty receptive. You know, it didn't it wasn't like, oh, like you Americans get away. But it was like it was like a conversation a little bit. It was pretty brief. I mean, there's a lot of Russian war heroes with just medals and stuff all, you know, walking around the parades. And um, but and he was it was kind of like we wanted to take some pictures with him with just we found some and then you know, they're like, well, where are you from? You boys from Germany? And we're like, well, no, we're a little farther west. Like we're from America. Hadn't met, hadn't seen Americans since 45. What an And experience. that is, oh, so amazing, you know, blows my mind. And, and that's the cool thing about Russia is, that, I mean, their history, I mean, they got, they got some cool history and the people have been through some stuff. And um, generally you can look at our politics and say, hey, like, I, I think our, our politics don't represent the people as a whole, like, you know, fringe people influence that. I think you can say the same thing about Russia. I mean, there's a lot of authoritarianism and a lot of different things going on, a lot of corruption. But I think as a whole, the people aren't that way. You know, you get down on the street and I think people are just, they got their own problems to deal with in life and they're real. And, and 
value relationships and family and and all the all the, a lot of the same things that we do it's just you know some of the some of the leadership and the national pride and the rest of it gets in the way but it's not a whole lot separating us oh wait that's an that's an interesting take on it man i could do this <laughs> I could sit and talk to you all day. We're at our we're at about our time limit. We could probably do another song if you want to do another one. Yeah. Um, and then where can people check you out? I know you got shows booked. What through the end of the year or close to that? Yeah. So uh, right now, I mean, everything. I've, I've got different dates throughout the year. Right now, I'm, I'm in every Friday, Saturday through you know, June, July, and uh, most of August. I've got something booked. You can nateburnham.com is uh, there's a tour schedule there, and so you can you can check it out there. And uh, yeah, anywhere you can stream music, you can you can find my music. You can Spotify, uh, YouTube, iTunes, whatever, whatever your your choice is, and and how you listen to music, you can find me there. So. But yeah, man, this hey, this has been super fun, by the way. And uh, yeah, this has been you know, great. Are you coming to Utah uh, at the end of the year? Yes, I'll be I'll be in Salt Lake at some point. If you have a free day, you gotta come in. We'll do this again. We'll do it live. Yeah, right? yeah. We'll do it. We'll do a part two. Yeah, that would be a blast. That would be fun. Yeah, absolutely. I would. Uh, yeah, would totally do that. Cool. So, so Spotify. So go to Spotify and follow you though. That helps you probably the yeah. most. I would say. Yeah, yeah. I definitely could use all the help I can get. If you listen to music on Spotify, you know, and uh, of course, give me a follow and a like only if you like me. If you don't like me, I don't, you know, <laughs> it's uh, you don't have to do me any favors. Right. You know, but uh, you know, if you like the music and you like what you've heard so far, go follow me out there. That will definitely help me tremendously. So I'd, I would definitely appreciate that. Awesome. Well, let's do it. Let's do one more. I'm going to release I Got Game. It's probably the next one, but the next one I release off the album is going to be this song called Live and Learn. I think uh, we've talked a little bit about some of that stuff, just yeah. some of the stuff you learn about in life and probably a good way to close it out. So this is, this is Live and Learn. Seventeen, a little green Trying to figure out girls and life and what it all means And what it means for me Get away with whatever we can Watching time fly like we have it all, man Wasting the one thing we all Wish I would have been stronger Wish I would have been hers a little longer Struck out a little less Maybe gone back in time Try to give it my best I know you can't change a thing Oh, but damn it, man It kind of burns Oh, but you live and learn yeah, and I like to think how to take a few more chances Maybe set out a few less dances Sometimes I look back and wonder what I was thinking Cause if I knew then would I know Done a few things different somehow Know me made the same mistakes again Wish I would have been stronger I would have been hers a little longer Struck out a little less Maybe going back in town I know you can't change a thing Oh, but damn it, man It kind of burns Oh, but you live and 
wish I would have been stronger. Wish I would have been hers a little longer. Struck out a little less. Maybe going back in time, I didn't give my best. I know you can't change a thing. Oh, damn it, man. Hey, kind of burn. Oh, but you live and learn. Yeah, man, it kind of burns. Oh, but you live and learn. Yes, thank you. Dude, that was awesome. What a that was a perfect song to close on. That was yeah, great. Man. Hey, check thank out NateBurnham.com. Go at him on Spotify. Go buy his music everywhere. Nate, thanks so much for taking the time and tell your wife thank you for letting you have a couple hours on her anniversary. Right, I know. Yeah, she's uh she's the best. I had a I had a great time that we got to do this and uh thanks to my uncle John man putting this together. So thank you. Yes, thank you, John, for doing this. And then we'll see you. Let's do a part two uh towards the end of the year. I'm in. Awesome. All right, Nate. Thanks so much. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you.